We're looking at the book of Colossians together. Today we'll be in chapter one, focusing mainly on the truth in one verse, verse 27. And we'll look at that in a moment. But first, let's do what we do every week. Let's remind each other of the gospel by quoting John 3.16. Then join with Christians all over in praying the Lord's Prayer. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Colossians 1.27 God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let me talk to you a little bit about that word mystery. Uh, In the first century Roman Empire, they had several things called mystery religions, and it was kind of like a fraternal organization. They had secrets they wouldn't tell you until after you'd been initiated. And then once you were initiated, you got to know the secrets. So since that was the way that word was used in the first century, I think Paul used this word often for something along the same lines. There are truths that you just can't get until after you've put your faith in Christ. You have to be on the inside to really grasp them. And so what happened in the New Living Translation, since that it talks about secrets, the New Living actually translates it God's glorious secret. And isn't there something attractive when somebody says, do you know the secret? I mean, how many books start off, the secret to losing weight? I haven't found it out yet. It's still a hidden secret to me. But there's evidently a secret out there to it. Or the secret to wealth by the time you're 30. Or, or you need a whole bunch of things like that. Well, here's what I want to share with you today. God's going to show us the secret to salvation and the secret to Christian living. The secret to salvation and the secret to Christian living is in that phrase, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So let me start with the first point. The secret to salvation is Christ in you. Now, for years in evangelism, we have basically said, when we talk to somebody about becoming a Christian, would you like to bow your head right now and pray and receive Jesus into your heart? That's been standard for a long time. We see it in some of our most beloved older hymns. In 1914, there was a hymn entitled, Since Jesus Came Into My Heart, and this is the part of the chorus. Since Jesus came into my heart, floods of joy o'er my soul like the sea billows roll. Since Jesus came into my heart. That's 1914. One of my favorite hymns, 1933. You ask me how I know he lives He lives within my heart. So you can see how it's been a part of our heritage and what we've sung. There's a tract that has been given out 2.5 billion times. It's called The Four Spiritual Laws. It was produced by Campus Crusade. 
I guess I probably one-on-one shared that track with over a thousand people. It was the one I used exclusively the first 20 or 30 years of my Christian life. As a lost person, somebody came up to me and shared with me the four spiritual laws. As it comes to a a conclusion, they quote Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice uh, and opens the door, I will come into him. And so they have that as the, as the way. Then, then they say, would you like to use prayer as an act of faith to receive Christ? And in fact, I have many a time when I can sense the spirit of God is working on someone. As I shared that track, I'd say, do you feel Jesus knocking on the door of your heart right now? Well, why don't you stop right now? Open up that door and receive Christ into your life. So, so can you see how much a standard this has been in our evangelism? Well, in 2012, a younger Baptist pastor named David Platt caused a viral stir when his video clip went around. And this is what he said in that clip. He said, I'm convinced that many people in our churches are simply missing the life of Christ. And a lot of it has to do with what we've sold them as the gospel. That is, pray this prayer, accept Jesus into your heart, invite Christ into your life. And then what Platt does, if you know him, he begins to quiver a little bit. And he said this, should it not concern us that there is no superstitious prayer in the New Testament? Should it not concern us that the Bible never uses the phrase, accept Jesus into your heart or invite Christ into your life? It's not the gospel that we see being preached. And then he adds these words as he concludes. It's not just dangerous, it's damning. So David Platt said that we are damning people to hell when we share the gospel and invite them to ask Christ into their heart. Uh, Justin was one of those who he actually had met with David Platt several times as a young man because they lived in the same area of Alabama. He said Platt resonated with his generation, the millennials, because millennials are all about authenticity. And he said one of the things that made that ring in his heart was this. He said, Millennials knew so many people in the Bible Belt South who would say something like this. Well, when I was eight, I asked Jesus into my heart. But if you looked at their life, you could see no evidence of salvation at all. So he said, it must be that we're presenting the gospel wrong. But later, Justin said, he came to realize that the problem was not in the gospel presentation. The problem was we led people to Christ and then dropped them. There was no discipling them. The Bible says when you put your faith in Christ, you're born again. We birth new babies. And we're taking new babies and say, see you later. You're on your own. No wonder there's very little fruit. Well, our Southern Baptist Convention, because this became so viral, decided in its meeting in 2012 that they needed to have a response. So by an 80% motion, they approved a resolution. And in that resolution, it said this. Repentance and faith involve a crying out for mercy and calling on the Lord, more commonly known as the sinner's prayer, as a biblical expression of repentance and faith. So here's Platt saying, this is false gospel. Our Southern Baptist Convention responded, no, this is, it's right to call on someone to say a sinner's prayer to invite Jesus into their life. But it was interesting to me because Platt offered an official written response after the resolution. So you want to hear his response after the resolution. He said, many wonderful men and women have used the sinner's prayer to lead people to Christ from Billy Graham to Bill Bright. 
Consequently, I encourage the members of our church as they share the totality and the beauty of the gospel to feel free to invite a lost person to pray a pointed prayer that expresses biblical repentance of sin and faith. So the question on the floor at this point is this. Is it biblical to ask somebody to bow and pray a prayer to receive Christ? So I'm going to load you up with scripture. Get your pen ready. Get ready to write down verses because I'm going to load you up with scripture. Let me start with Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you see the implication that if you want salvation, there's a prayer that you pray. You call on him for that salvation. So here we have prayer connected with being saved. One of the most important verses is John 1, 12. It said, to all who did receive him. See, there needs to be a point in your life where you receive Christ into your heart. To all who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God, even to those who believe in his name. It is fitting to, to ask somebody to, at a point in time, receive Christ. And talking about sinner's prayer, well, Jesus told a story where they included a, where he included a sinner's prayer. Do you remember the story of the Pharisee on one corner and the tax collector on the other corner? Let me read to you Luke chapter 18. This is what Jesus said. The tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. There's a sinner's prayer. And the next verse Jesus said, that's the one who went home justified. He cried out for mercy and got it. He prayed a sinner's prayer and got it. Well, what happens when you pray that sinner's prayer? If you, if you express faith in Christ through a prayer, what happens with that? Well, the Bible tells us at that moment, Jesus does enter your life. Let me give you one, a great important verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. The faith refers to the, the set doctrines we've got to believe in. Test out, make sure you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Do you recognize, not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? All right, here's, here's the test. How do I know if I'm in the faith? Well, I got to answer this one question. Is Jesus in me? Because the way you pass the test is to say Jesus is in me. The way you fail the test is you don't have Jesus in you. So here, once again, we talk about Christ in you. Uh, in fact, look once again at our theme verse for today. The powerful phrase there in chapter 1, verse 27. He says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, let me make this clear. If you want to have a settled assurance of salvation, then settle the issue that Christ is in you. Because if Christ is in you, then you have the hope of glory. Let me illustrate it this way. Uh, let's say you're retired now. You probably need money, Amal. Uh, here's a $20 bill. So I want to give Amal this $20 bill. But let me put it this way. This $20 bill represents eternal life. And let's say this Bible represents Jesus. Now look with me at 1 John 5, and I want to picture this for you. You've got that on the screen, okay? And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. You, you don't have to come up and get it. Just, just play along with me. Well, you can come get it. <laughs> God has given us eternal life. But look what he says. See, this represents Jesus. Eternal life is in the Son. He who has the Son 
has the life. The one who does not have the son does not have the life. Do you see that? The only way to get eternal life is to get the son. There are two kinds of people in the world. The one who has the son, the one who does not have the son. If you need it, brother, it's right here. You just quit. There you go. <laughs> All right. Do you see that? That's our assurance. In fact, it's the next verse says this. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The secret to salvation is Christ in you. Now, the second point is this. The secret to Christian living is Christ in you. The secret to Christian living is Christ in you. I've got several verses I want to share with you that point out how Letting Christ live his life through us because he lives in us is the secret to living the Christian life. Look at Ephesians 3, verse 16 and 17. I pray that he might grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through the spirit. Well, how do I get strengthened with power? Look at the next verse. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That word dwell means that Christ has Full reign to move throughout the home of my heart. He, he's at home in my heart. In fact, I love the old living Bible at times. Look at living Bible translation verse 17. I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts, living within you as you trust in him. So I've invited him in. Now I want him to feel at home in my life. If you take that analogy, our life is a home that Christ is living in. Jesus comes in, he doesn't leave, but does he feel at home? If, if Jesus is in your home and there's pornography on the screen, I don't think he'd feel at home at that moment. If Jesus is at your home and you're having a keg party and everybody's getting drunk, I don't think he'd feel at home at that moment. If Jesus is in your home, but you put him in a little room and say, stay there, I'll come get you when I need you, and he's neglected constantly, I don't think he's at home. He's not made to feel at home in that home. So the unleashing of power is when you allow Jesus to have access to every part of your life. Let him live through you. In fact, one of the great verses that many of you have probably memorized is Galatians 2.20. Listen to this key phrase. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Do you see that? It's Jesus living in me. In Galatians 2.20, there was a young girl one time and she kept bothering her parents because she said, I want to ask Jesus in my heart. And her parents thought, you're just too young. But she kept on. And so finally, they said, we'll take you to see the pastor. So they took her to see the pastor and he shared the gospel with her, but he was concerned too that she might be too young to really understand what's going on. But she said, I want to pray that prayer. I want to ask Jesus in my heart. So he led her in a prayer where she asked Jesus in her heart, but he wanted to kind of see if she really understood it. He said, now, honey, you just asked Jesus in your heart. He knocked on the door of your heart and you let him in. But suppose tomorrow the devil were to knock on the door of your heart. What would you do? And she quickly said, I'd let Jesus answer the door. <laughs> That's it. Let Christ live through you. Uh, and this is what he gets at in chapter one of Colossians in verse 29. He says, I labor for this striving with his strength 
that works powerfully in me. It's Christ in me. He gives me strength. It's not me trying to do my best for God. It's his strength working in me. There's a great man of God. I I heard him for the first time in 1974. And I've even had dinner with him once. It was just a, a man that's impacted me. I love his book, The Saving Life of Christ, a man named Major Ian Thomas. Ian Thomas, as a young man, had made a commitment to go to Africa as a missionary, but he was the most frustrated Christian. Reminds me of my parents. They so wanted to be used by God, but all they could do is argue with Methodists. I mean, that's the closest they could come. Uh, and they just, no, there was no fruit in their lives. And, and, and so Ian was about ready to give up. In fact, this is from his own writings. Thus, by the age of 19, I'd been reduced to a state of complete exhaustion spiritually until I felt that there was no point in going on. Certainly no point in going to Africa. There's nothing magic about getting on a boat. There's nothing magic about changing your geographical position or putting on a little pair of tropical shorts and a sun helmet. Then one night in November that year, just at midnight in my room, I got on my knees before God and I just wept in sheer despair. I said, God, I know that I'm saved. I love Jesus Christ. I'm perfectly convinced that I'm converted. With all my heart, I've wanted to serve thee. I've tried to my uttermost and I'm a hopeless failure. He said, then that night, he said, a verse jumped off the page and he heard Jesus, not audibly, but he heard Jesus speak to him. That verse was Christ who is our life. And this is what he felt Jesus said to him that night. You see, for seven years, with utmost sincerity, you've been trying to live for me on my behalf, the life that I've been waiting for seven years to live through you. For seven years, you've been trying to live for me, and I've been waiting to live through you. He said, I've been there the whole time. All these things you've been pleading for, all the things which you've been asking for have been yours since I came into your heart. And I wonder how many Christians are there in this room that are just as frustrated and worn out as Ian Thomas was. You have tried and tried and gritted your teeth and there's no fruit. He never intended you to do your best for him. He came inside you so he would live his life through you. So how do you do that? How in the world can you have the power of Christ living in you? I want to give you just basically four thoughts on how you can live that life where Christ lives through you. Number one, you've got to acknowledge your need. The first thing you've got to do is actually say, I can't do this. Isn't that what Jesus said in John 15? I'm the vine, you're the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. You know, it humbles us to say I can't, doesn't it? It humbles us. Justin was sharing with me this morning that what he's going to share down there, he says he realizes his helplessness when he comes to the pulpit to, to preach to this church. He realizes his helplessness when he says, I want to be the best dad possible, and I don't think it's going to be possible. we got to come to that point when we say, I can't do these things, God. In, in my life, I'm at a point now where I don't have all the strength I used to have, and, and yet I'm still called to be faithful. And I say, God, how am I going to? you got to come to the point where you say, you know what? I just can't. I can't. Without me, you can do nothing. I became a Christian just before the, during the screen, during the Christmas break of my ninth grade year. I went back to school and determined I would be a witness my very first class. I was in homeroom. I had a lost teacher. 
And he said, what did you do over Christmas? I raised my hand. I stood up and said, I invited Christ in my heart and I want everyone in this room to do the same thing. And he said, sit down, young man. Christianity is a crutch for those who are too weak to stand on their own two feet. And I made my fists. Because <laughs> I was a weightlifter and a football player. Nobody's going to call me. I said, no, it's not. And what I didn't realize is he was right. Christianity is a crutch for those who are too weak to stand on their own two feet. Here's the deal. Everybody's too weak to stand on their own two feet. A lot of folks just hadn't found that out yet. So you say, I can't do it. A second thing that you can do to allow Christ to live through you is take throne checks. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. That's a kind of a campus crusade concept. In the four spiritual laws, they had two circles. There was a chair in the middle. That's the throne who's running your life at that moment. And then you could have Christ on the throne and self off the throne, or you could have self on the throne and Christ in the life, but not running the life. And so when I went off to college in 1972, I literally by hand drew those two circles, one that had self on the throne and one that had Christ on the throne. And I wrote the words throne check right above those two circles. Because what I wanted to do is every time I passed the mirror in our dorm room, I wanted to ask myself, who's on the throne of your life right now? A third thing that you can do in order to have the power of Christ released in you through his life is pray. Prayer is the way we show our dependence upon God. Anything I don't pray about, basically what I'm saying is, God, I got this. I can handle this. I'll call you if I need you. But how in the world can you raise kids? How in the world can you influence grandkids in this world? How in the world can you stay clean in a dirty world like this? On your own, you got to pray. But fourthly, stay close to Christ. That John 15, abide in Christ and you'll bear fruit a vine doesn't produce by straining. A vine produces by being attached. The branch is attached to the vine and it draws its strength. So take that time to have that quiet time and say, Lord, I'm coming to you now to, to hold on to you for the strength I'll need. Rankin Wilburn said this about abiding in Christ. He said, life with God is not like a motorboat where we're in control of the power and direction. But neither is it like a raft where we just sit back and are carried along. It's like sailing. While we can't control the most important thing, the wind that makes us move, that doesn't mean there's nothing left for us to do. We have to draw the sail to catch the wind. The reason I got up this morning and put my Bible on my desk and opened up my heart before the Lord was because... That was my way of saying, I'm drawing my, I'm, I want to catch the wind today. I can't just assume the wind's coming. I got to put the sails out to catch it. Do you see what I'm saying? And so I've got to do what I can do there. So what I want to do as we close now is I want to give a couple of applications at the very end. If you're here today and you've never invited Jesus into your life, I want to give you a chance to do that. But, but for those of us who have, I'd like for us to take a throne check right now. Don't you think that'd be worthwhile time? So as we get the instrumentalists to our keyboards, why don't we bow our heads now and let's take a throne check. Oh my Lord. I just can't do it. I never could. But now I know I really can't. 
I open up my heart and say, fill me again with your spirit. Give me strength and weakness. Lord, when I look at what my grandkids are facing, I don't know what I'm going to say to them. I don't know how we're going to keep them from being bent by the world. But I come to you, Lord, and I put them in your hands. Oh, we trust in you. Oh, we look to you now and pray that you would fill us. Jesus, live through us. Now, if you're here today and you've never asked Christ in, those who receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Just say this, today, Jesus, I receive you as Savior and Lord of my life. Come in, save me. In Jesus' name, amen.